and they started praying. I said, dear God, please don't let that guy sit next to me. I couldn't really hardly fit down the aisles and I had to like turn just to kind of shimmy my way down, you know, so I would like spill into their rows just so I could fit down the aisle. And when I finally got to my seat, I sat down and I just just tried as best as I could to get that seatbelt on, but wouldn't even come close. And I was sitting in the back of the plane because I was not about to try to sit next to anybody. And I had to do the walk of the shame back down that aisle and in front of everybody with those eyeballs looking at me, ask humbly for a seatbelt extender and then shimmy my way back to the seat, seatbelt extender in hand, just so we could take off. That, that was it, man. That was the final straw. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. If it's your first time here, thanks for checking it out. I appreciate you checking it out. Um, Before I give this week's intro, I actually have the podcast's first ever sponsor. Um, So if you guys have been following the show, a few episodes back, I had Andrus Lagston on. Um, the founder of Baking Steel. And we have since connected, and he's been helping me with uh, Rewild, with, with my restaurant brand, and crafting the perfect vegan pizzas. Um, and we've come up with this whole plan to put his products um, in my ovens and, and everything like that. But anyway, this episode is sponsored by Baking Steel. And basically what Baking Steel is, is it's kind of like a pizza stone, but it's made out of steel and it allows you because steel conducts heat so well, um, you know, and you put it in a home oven, it allows you to make like that 500 degree, like Neapolitan or like New York style, um, perfect pizza where it cooks in like three or four minutes. Um, and it's just a massive difference. I've been banging them out at home. Um, they also do classes if you're um, on the South Shore um, or anywhere close to Boston. They actually they actually make dough, the most ridiculous organic homemade dough, and they do uh, cooking class nights too, where they'll come in um, and they'll show you how to make the perfect pizza um, on the steel, so that um, with yours at home you can actually like get this just ridiculous, you know, restaurant style homemade pizza. Um, so their website is bakingsteel.com, um, 10% off if you, uh, type in eat green, make green, um, when you check out, um, cannot recommend it enough. Such a cool gift too. I just recently got one for my dad who is always the, uh, cook in my house and, um, great gift and just unreal to have in the house. If, if you're a big pizza people, I should also note, you can do everything on it. You can put it over your griddle and do pancakes. You can do burgers. You can do whatever you're making, um, over the griddle you can do, uh, with a super hot surface too. Um, so, so versatile, um, check it out. Uh, eat green, make green when you check out. All right. This week's episode is with Chuck Carroll. 
So Chuck is the host of the Exam Room podcast um, for the Physicians Committee uh, for Responsible Medicine, um, which I highly suggest you follow, uh, Dr. Neil Bernard and the crew there. Um, but Chuck has a ridiculous story. Um, I started following him on Instagram, um, I don't know, a couple months ago, and Chuck at one point in his life was 420 pounds and was very much addicted to bad food. Um, and his story is just incredible. He's now 140 pounds. His cholesterol is lower than 99% of the American population and beyond. Um, it's incredible. So we talk about, um, how Chuck developed a love for bad food, very young, fatty and salty foods, um, you know, with his grandmother's cooking as a young kid, um, how at 26, what led him to being 420 pounds at 26, um, his struggles with food addiction and how it's just like any other addiction. Um, the final straw that led him to commit to actually making a change, you know, how low did he get to finally make a change? Um, how he eventually found a plant-based diet um, and what that's done for his health and what he's learned from interviewing um, the world's leading experts on nutrition science. I mean, he literally has had, you know, every world-renowned, not every, but so many world-renowned nutrition experts on the show from, you know, people I really look up to like Dr. Dean Ornish and Neil Bernard and, um, you know, countless others. Um, so check out their show as well. Um, but he also shares what he's learned from just sitting across the table with, uh, people like that on a regular basis. Um, and finally his message is just that if he could do it, anybody can do it. Uh, he's not a superhero. He's a regular guy and that you can, no matter how low you, you, you're at, um, with food or any other addiction or any other, um, problem in your life, you can take control. Um, this episode for this. So this is the hundredth, um, eat green, make green episode. And I can't think of a better episode to share. Um, so follow Chuck, uh, follow his podcast, follow what he's doing. Um, and I will let him tell the rest. Um, so without further ado, the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. All right, Chuck. Thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure, man. I appreciate you having me. It's always a pleasure having a, a fellow podcaster. Uh, you know, you got the you come prepared with the mic. The video looks good. You get everything set up in the background. Uh, very nice. Very nice. Well, you know, I, I'd like to at least look professional. You know, it's all a facade. <laughs> it's all a facade, man. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So we, I started following you probably a couple months ago now on Instagram. Um, I think I first saw you through the exam room podcast, uh, with the physicians committee who I uh, followed for a long time. I think they're incredible. They were, uh, you know, a big Neil, Dr. Bernard was a kind of a big part of my personal transformation and, um, have been following them for a while. So, uh, very cool that you're doing what you're doing. And, um, you have an incredible story, uh, yourself that I am just fired up to dive into. Um, and then I think maybe for the second half or so, we can talk about, uh, some of the stuff you have learned both personally through your journey, but then also from being in a, in a position where you're, 
you know, around people like Dr. Bernard and, and, you know, you get to interview all these really cool, uh, nutrition experts, uh, from around the country. So, um, I'm happy to talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about, man. You can even talk sports and we'll do that for an hour as well, man. So you just fire <laughs> away and, and we'll get going here. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So I'd love to, you know, your story's well-documented, uh, the weight loss champion, that's your website and brand, right? Uh, mm-hmm. sort of personal where, where you post things. Um, and I'll leave links to all that. Um, but I would like to understand sort of your background and how you got to the position where, you know, your health was in a bad place. I'd like to kind of understand what got you to that place and maybe a little background. You can go back as far as as you want to childhood or or wherever you want to start. Yeah, man, it really does date back to childhood. You know, nobody gets to be 420 pounds like I was or however heavy they get to be, you know, overnight. It dates back many, many, many years. And for me, it dated back to the fact that, you know, I was raised in a single parent home. Uh, Mom was working, so she didn't have a whole lot of time to cook. Um, So a lot of the time it would be, uh, you know, fast food, you know, Burger King drive through uh, at night for dinner. Um, And we would spend the afternoons after school, my brother and I would, with our grandma, who, God love her, I mean, the most, I mean, just a sweet little dumpling of a woman, you know, was my best friend in the world for so many years. Um, But she really didn't know anything about nutrition either. And so before we would get that fast food dinner, she was feeding us uh, homemade hamburgers and fries. And the fries were cooked in bacon grease, like everything was cooked in bacon grease. She had this jar of it that she just sat on top of the stove. And it really didn't matter what she was making. I mean, she could be making a pot of coffee and I, I'm telling you, dude, she would put a scoop of the baking grease in there. Man. <laughs> like God love my grandma. Um, so really everything that, that introduction to the high fat, high calorie food started at such a young age and it just continued on throughout my life. Like I was well over a hundred pounds by the time I was in the third grade. And I remember one day we had to get um, these identification cards made where they would actually weigh us and give us our height and take our picture. They were like little mock driver's licenses, essentially. And I just remember standing on the scale and being mortified that it was over 100 pounds while my friends were, you know, 20, 30 pounds lighter than I was already at that point. And, you know, just telling the teacher, I was like, man, I got to go on a diet. And so here I am at third grade, like already worried about that. But um, that that continued. And within a few years, uh, by the time I got to high school, um, you know, I was close to 300 pounds. I was put on blood pressure medication, um, really kind of became an introvert in, in some regards, you know, and very depressed. And I would miss just huge chunks of school at a time. I mean, I'm talking like two months at a time. Um, just because I didn't have the will to, to get up and, and go out and, and do what my peers were doing. You know, it's not, mm. not necessarily that I didn't have friends because, you know, I, I did, but it just wasn't enough to get me out of the house, man. I didn't feel good physically. I felt horribly mentally. And that cycle just continued throughout my life. And the weight just kept pouring on and on and on. And then when I graduated and I started to work in media right out of high school, I worked at a classic rock station called Big 100.3 here in Washington. And being this overweight guy and getting my first opportunity to do something on air, I was given the 
big Chuck persona. So I felt like I had to roll with it mm. at that point. And I used that as an excuse to continue to fuel my food addiction. And, um, and it was just horrible. So eventually I got up to 420 pounds, man. And I was just in a, in a hard, hard way. man. And there was a lot of ins and outs along the way. Um, but you know, we can, we can dive into that. I don't want to give away everything without letting you ask a question, man. Cause I know like when I'm hosting the show and, and the guest just goes on and on and on, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so no, you, but, jump in, man. It does make my job easy though. No, but um, no, you mentioned food addiction. I'd like to dive into that a little bit. Um, I know it's something you talk about a lot and maybe in your own words, if you can describe it to, I think it's something people, you know, at different levels suffer from, you know, very <laughs> across the board um, at various points uh, of our lives too. But can you dive kind of into what you mean by food addiction and some of the uh, foods that, you know, you were addicted to at that time? For sure, man. Yeah. Um, food addiction is, is a little bit different for everybody, but at its core, everybody kind of also has it. You know, nobody's really immune to it. Even if you think like you can't go a day without that little piece of chocolate, well, guess what? You know, you're addicted to that chocolate. But luckily for a lot of people, it's only that one piece. So, you know, it's not the greatest thing in the world. But for me, you know, food addiction was like, if I didn't get my fix, and I call it a fix, just like a drug, I call it a fix. Because if I did not get that, dude, I would become, you know, like, we're talking Jekyll and Hyde personality switch here. Like, mm -hmm. I would become the most irritable SOB you could ever imagine. You did not want to be around me. I was moody. I was angry. Um, and I didn't, I would start to feel physically ill. Like I would, I would detox too, you know? And so like my brain was freaking out and my body was freaking out. I, I had no idea really what was going on at the time. Like, you know, this just happened when I would go on a diet, right? You know? Yeah. So, but man, food addiction though, thinking back to it at its worst is when you sneak out in the middle of the night when you're on a diet and you don't want to disappoint anybody. And you sneak out in the middle of the night because you have not had your $20 a day Taco Bell fix. And you go and you, at two o'clock in the morning, find a 24 hour drive through. You've got tears streaming down your face because you can't control yourself. You want to do so good. You want to conquer this beast and you don't know why you can't stop eating this but you know that you have this compulsion to go through that drive-through and spend $20 at Taco Bell on food and then come home, gorge on it, hide all of the evidence before anybody else wakes up the next morning. So they think that you're still on track, you know, and then doing that every single night until you, you know, you can't hide it anymore. Mm. That's food addiction, man. That's mm. food addiction. You know, so when people get hooked on narcotics, right, they can hide it for so long, but eventually it starts to show, you mm -hmm. know? And so that weight that I had lost would start coming back on, you know, and it would come on just, I mean, not even slowly, man. I mean, it would just pour back on. So you lose 60, you put 80 back on, you lose 80, you put on 120. And so like, that was the cycle. And that's what got me up to 420 pounds, man. That's food addiction. Food addiction is going out to dinner with your family 
and then taking a separate cart just because you know that you're going to go to Taco Bell afterward and load up for a couple hours later because you know that you're going to want to eat that. Like you need to eat that, man. And mm. it's, it sucks. It absolutely sucks. It drives you and it, you're just, your life is out of control. It just, it revolves completely on when are you going to get your next fix? Yeah. Yeah. What during kind of those years, what, I mean, what had you tried you know, you, you say, you say diet, what, I mean, are you just trying to eat less? Like, are you trying different things like paleo and high protein, low carb? And like, are you doing that type of stuff? Like where's your mindset at with that during this time? Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> I tried a little bit of everything, you know, I, I tried to just muscle through myself sometimes and, you know, just adjust my eating habits uh, slightly, you know, cut down on fast food consumption and like really just spending a, a ton of time in the gym. I would do that, but I was still so out of control. Like when I would do those kinds of diets, I was also still smoking. And so I remember like going and, uh, you know, doing 20 minutes, you know, on the elliptical machine and like going outside for a cigarette break and then coming in and lifting weights, you know? And so that was my idea of a workout, right? So, <laughs> you know, with a smoke break in the middle and then Taco Bell afterward. Um, and, you know, like, so I did that kind of stuff. But then like when I was also at big 100.3, I was approached by this company um, that was doing something called the cookie diet. And the cookie diet is the most crazy thing I have ever heard in my entire life. Right. But they were going to pay me to lose weight. I was like, cool, man. Like I can't fail. Like I got, and I felt pressured to succeed because I mean, they're documenting this on the air. Right. So my job now is to sell their product. So I go on the cookie diet and the cookie diet is you eat two of these cookies for breakfast and then lunch and you drink a ton of water with them. And supposedly they expand in your stomach mm. and they kind of keep you feeling full. So you're not hungry. So you essentially then skip meals and then you, you eat what they call a sensible dinner, but they never define what a sensible dinner is. They just say eat more fruits and vegetables. Right. So it's like that vague definition again. Right. So uh, I did that. Um, but the cookies, man, they did not taste like cookies. They did not look like cookies. Uh, they were like little brown sponges that just happened to have a raisin in them. A right, like one friggin' raisin <laughs> in the whole cookie. Like what, what kind of crap is that? Right. So, I mean, it just tasted God awful, but you know, and, and, Maybe it kept me full for, you know, an hour or two, uh, but then, you know, the hunger pains would, would set right in. And so um, after that sensible dinner at night, you know, and everybody had gone to sleep, that's when I would sneak out. Those were my clandestine missions to Taco Bell. And I just made sure that I spent more time in the gym to make sure that I tried to continue to lose weight. Again, you can't do that long term, but for the mm. duration of those advertisements, yeah, man, that's that's what I was doing. And so I actually wound up losing 80 pounds on the cookie diet. And uh, God, I hope they're not hearing this because they might come back and collect. But I mean, I was just <laughs> gaming the system man. they might want their money back. But I was just gaming the system, going to Taco Bell every single night and just spending, you know, two or three hours at the gym trying to offset everything, man. So that's the kind of ridiculousness that, that I would go through, man. It was just horrible. And, and yeah, I also bought into the idea of Atkins and things like that at the time. Like, you know, you, you tell a fat guy like, oh man, all you got to do to lose weight is just eat bacon and nothing but bacon. Like, okay, cha-ching. Like that's the greatest thing ever. Right. Only it 
you know, it's a horrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. You, I saw a post you, you made and I'd like to dive into a little bit, but basically for somebody that hasn't been in a situation like yours, you said something along the lines, I'm probably misquoting, but it's hard to choose change over death in a, in a yeah. situation you know you were in. Can you talk yeah. about that? And because for from an outsider, right? And I think you know anybody who hasn't experienced it, you know it's so simple to right. I I you know I'm sure I'm guilty of this too. It's like you look at the person, it's like just make a change, you know, just make a change. Uh, but it's a lot more complicated than that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, man. And so I think that really what people need to understand is that we we are talking about addiction here again, mm. and it, it, it's all going to boil down to addiction because I truly believe in my heart of hearts with very few exceptions. When you see somebody that is super morbidly obese like that, they are a full-blown food addict, you know, and there's really nothing you can do short of giving me a doctor's note that tells me that you have some rare condition uh, that means that you're going to be, you know, super morbidly obese and there's nothing you can do about it. If you don't produce me that evidence, I will tell you right now that you, you may be eating salad in front of your friends and family, but you're also doing those same type of secret fast food missions that I was doing. Right. Mm. So here's the thing, right? You can say, well, why don't you just stop eating? Right. It just seems so, or eating that type of food. It seems so easy. Right. And yeah, man, I got you. Right. But think about this, right. Is it really so easy to tell a cocaine addict, like, just stop doing coke and you won't die? Mm. No, man. Like, we recognize that there's a serious problem there. Look at the opioid crisis right now, right? People are dropping dead, thousands and thousands of people falling victim to opioid overdoses because they're addicted to these narcotics. And so you can say, all you got to do is stop doing it. But we as a society recognize the fact that this is a serious addiction. And there's nothing easy about fighting this. But there's this stigma then around food where people don't really understand that. They don't grasp that, man. They, mm. they don't get that it's just as powerful. They don't understand that the brain, the pleasure centers in the brain light up exactly the same for high fat foods as they do for a drug addict when they are getting their fix. That's why I call fast food a fix. So when you're in that cycle and you are that addict, Somebody can say, hey, all you got to do is stop eating. And it seems so black and white, right? But it's not because the thought of living without that fix is you got to wonder, like you start to think, is that even a life that I want to live? I can't live without this. So I would rather choose death. Mm. That's what I'm talking about, man. Like I was at a point where I would have rather died than not been able to go to Taco Bell every day. As absurd as that sounds, that is exactly where I was, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious if somebody's listening and there's somebody in their life that has an addiction, I guess of any kind, but food in particular, and, you know, they want to help. Like, is there any way you recommend to maybe or, or is there nothing an outside person can do to kind of help a loved one that um, is struggling with it? Probably such a tough question to answer. It, it, it is, man, because every time that somebody would approach me, I just felt like I was under attack. 
Mm. Um, I really did. It was very difficult. And there was so much anger and resentment that came with it, even though these people were coming from such a well-meaning place. But Mm. the fact of the matter is that if that person isn't ready to change, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing anybody can say that's going to change their mind to make them want to change. They have to be ready for that. I remember one particular incident where I had a group of friends that I used to work with. Just, I mean, these are wonderful people. They got so concerned with how heavy I had gotten. This is when I had finally crossed over that 400 pound threshold. They had gotten so concerned about that, that they decided to organize an intervention for me. Mm. One of them inadvertently tipped me off to it. And I called up the person who was organizing this intervention and I just read them the friggin' riot act. And this was a guy who I owed so much to. This was a guy that really gave me my first big break in radio. And I was just so friggin' angry at him. Like, who are you? Who are you to tell me that I have a problem? I know that I have a problem. I know that I'm fat. I look in the mirror, but you don't have the right to tell me a damn thing. And yet you want to do that? And you want to get other people to do that? You guys are all a bunch of Judases. You guys want to just come and stab me in the back. And that's what it felt like. I felt like I was being betrayed, even though they were coming from such a good place. So it's really such a tricky delicate slope. And I I think that those are important conversations that that need to be had. I'm not necessarily a a advocate for intervention, but in that regard, but one-on-one, sometimes it helps just to get those wheels turning to plant that seed. Mm. But if you're the person that is expressing that concern, you also need to be prepared that things could go south and you know that it's not necessarily the person that you're talking to that's having such a violent reaction but it's that addiction that that has a hold of them that you're seeing come out and so it's tricky man but yeah, that yeah. seed gets planted and it, and it stays in there and it, it it weighs heavily on the person and maybe that can help eventually reach them to the point where they want to make that change but again, like it's not going to be the only seed. It's going to have to be a number of things and they have to be ready, man. Only they're going to know when it's time. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, so I want to know, I want to know how you got to where you are now. So 420 to like what, 160 now? Like, oh no, what? Man, I'm down at 140. Come on now. 140. All right. Yeah. You're sitting down. I can't tell about it. Damn. All right. So <laughs> I want to know. Like, at what point did you make a change? What information did you get that, you know, led you to a change? And how have you kind of evolved from that first step of, you know, making a change to, you know, where you are now as this, you know, whole food plant-based guy, right? Yeah. So when I, when I did reach my breaking point, I knew nothing about plant-based nutrition. Mm. And maybe I would have chosen in a different path. Um, but what I did know was that my father had had bariatric surgery, as had my stepmother, and they had had success with it. I had a former colleague who had had it. She had had success with it. But I also knew that their success was temporary, and they all put weight back on, some more than others, you know. Um, and in some cases, they put all the weight back on. Um, 
but I knew that I was ready to do something. And this was the only thing that I, I thought was left. I thought that it was the only box that had not been checked. So it's like, let me just do this. That way I can go to my grave saying that I had tried everything. But what brought me to that point was the fact that, uh, yeah, here's the emotional part, right? So I couldn't walk from basically here to the end of the hallway, which is, you know, maybe 15 feet from where I am without my chest starting to tighten, draining all the color from my face, sweating profusely, couldn't catch my breath. And I knew, man, I was like, look, I'm 26 right now and I will not live to see 30 years old if I don't do something. And that scared the, the crap out of me. You know, like I'm way too young to be having these type of, of chest pains. Like there's no reason why my blood pressure needs to be like 190, 200 over, you know, whatever the case may be. Like it was super high at that point, even with medication. Um, and so that was a wake up call, man. But really the hardest part was like I had finally managed to get what I thought was a real girlfriend um, at the time. And she and I dated for uh, a year, year and a half. But, and she was a, she was a normal sized girl, average sized girl. And um, I thought, man, I was like, I just, I hit the jackpot. Like finally, like I thought, okay, because I'm on the radio, she's like, no, nah, I'm just going to go with it, man. I'm going to, I'm going to be with this guy. It's going to be great. Right. But she wouldn't tell her friends that we were dating. She wouldn't tell her family that she, we were dating. She wouldn't tell anybody that we were dating. She wouldn't even, you know, tell our, tell our colleagues that we mm. were dating. And it was like, why, why are you hiding me? Like, am I not good enough for you? Like, that's what it felt like. So every time I would ask her and I would ask her at least a couple times a week, like, can we please tell your family now? Can we please tell your friends now? Like, this is why, why am I in hiding? Right. I'm just not ready to go public with a relationship or whatever. You know, but I thought that that was as good as it could get. And um, and so I settled with it. And even though it was like being kicked in the jimmies time and time and time and time again, I was like, this is the best that it's going to get. So I'm just going to go with it. And this is how it's going to be. And after we broke up, I just I realized I was like, man. I don't want to be in hiding like I'm worth more than that. Like I I'm, I'm Chuck, like, you know, and I don't say that like to have an ego, but it's like, I'm, I'm freaking, I'm me. Like wh what the hell? Like what is wrong with me? Like, come on. You know, this is, this is stupid. Why, why am I good enough to date you, but not good enough for you to tell anybody about it? Like that's just wrong, man. Mm. And so like the pain that was inflicted with that and the anger that kind of came from that, you know, it, it was, it was so freaking hurtful, man. And so like that really kind of put me over as well. And then not being able to fit on an airline seat and having to walk the aisles of this flight hadn't flown in years. And I had to go, I'm in Washington, DC now, and I had to go to a conference in San Francisco and I knew, man, it was going to be a tight squeeze, bro. But I was like, I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to cinch up that belt. I'm just going to like squeeze in there the best that I possibly could. But as soon as I boarded the plane, man, it's like I felt like everybody who was boarded ahead of me like just stopped. 
like i mean just like stopped dead in their tracks didn't matter if they were putting stuff in the overhead bin they just stopped and they stared at me and they started praying i said dear god please don't let that guy sit next to me i couldn't really hardly fit down the aisles and i had to like turn just to kind of shimmy my way down you know so i would like spill into their rows just so i could fit down the aisle and when i finally got to my seat i sat down and i like just yeah, just tried as best as i could to get that seat belt on it wouldn't even come close and i was sitting in the back of the plane because i was not about to try to sit next to anybody and I had to do the walk of the shame back down that aisle and in front of everybody with those eyeballs looking at me, ask humbly for a seatbelt extender and then shimmy my way back to the seat, seatbelt extender in hand, just so we could take off. That, that was it, man. That was the final straw. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that was the breaking point, man. And then um, shortly thereafter, I started the process for bariatric surgery. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, I mean, when, when does the diet really shift to, you know, a place where you feel like you're gaining control back, um, that you are, um, you know, in control of your weight, in control of your health and in, in kind of what information did you get, um, to kind of shift you to uh, more plant-based eventually. I, I know that comes eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was eventually. Like it was actually a good long while um, after the procedure, man. Um, so really coming out of it, you, you, you don't get a whole lot of nutritional information. Like this is, this is the absurd part. And this is why like, I love working with the physicians committee because it's you yeah. know, one of our big initiatives is to kind of educate the educators, so to speak, you know, coach up the doctors, help them understand that nutrition is a critical component to care. And so all we're given are these menus, man. And it, it, it basically starts with a liquid diet and then pureed foods and soft foods. And then you're back on, on your regular diet, man. But like the menus consisted of, you know, like barbecue chicken and meatloaf and, you know, mm-hmm. like baked French fries, you know, which, okay, maybe not that bad, but you know, yogurt and, and, and dairy and cheese and like all, all sorts of this like high fat crap. And I'm like, all right, I'm just, I'm going to follow this. Like, it doesn't seem right, but I'm going to follow it. And because at that point, like your stomach is, you can't eat a whole lot of food. Like no matter what you do, you're, you're just going to lose a ton of weight. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I just continue on blindly. And, and for the first few years, like it just became like portion control and, and making sure that I never went back to fast food. Like that was the one thing that I knew in my heart of hearts. Like, this is, this is it, man. I was like, I cannot go back because I don't care how you lose weight initially on a diet, man. Like everybody comes to this, this crossroads, right? This fork in the road. And you can either go left and continue on the path that you are going that healthy path, or you can turn right and you can go right back to the drive-through and right back to where you were. And so I was just, it's like, there's no freaking way I'm going right. 
I'm going left, man. And I'm going to keep going on this path because right now I feel really good. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I can live without these foods because you can't physically tolerate them. You know, with the surgery, this is the biggest thing that the surgery did for me is it gives you this three, four, five, six month window where you can't physically tolerate those types of foods. So you go through that detox that I was talking about earlier and you don't have a choice. Like you Mm. you just got to grin and bear it, man. And it sucks, but you go through it, you get over that hump. And then it's just decision time, man. And so I was like, I'm going left. Um, So that was kind of what I did for um, nutrition, for food, for for many years. And then uh, I'm doing an interview uh, for one of my sports columns for CBS. And I'm interviewing a professional wrestler by the name of Austin Aries. And his big claim to fame, in addition to winning a whole bunch of world titles, like for every wrestling promotion known to man, um, is the fact that he is himself uh, 100% plant-based. You know, guy grew up in uh, the Milwaukee area, you know, home of bratwursts and and beers (laughs) and cheese. And, you know, it's like, that's that's it, dude. So uh, he's a Wisconsinite. And um, here he is talking to me about the benefits of of plant-based nutrition. And I'm like, huh. Because at that point, like, I'm still skeptical. Like, I know, like, even though I'm not going to eat fast food again, like, I'm still petrified that I'm going to put weight back on. But the way that he was talking about it made all the sense in the world to me. Like, well, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe maybe I can finally, you know, breathe easy and, and you know, realize that maybe I, I do kind of have this thing licked. And so I, I went plant-based, uh, after watching, he said, uh, look, dude, you got to watch what the health. And so this was like three and a half, four years ago now. Um, and I did, and it just clicked, man. And everything fell into place. Like those last 20 fluffy pounds that I've been carrying around, like they just fell right off. And, you know, I had more energy than I ever did in my entire life. My cholesterol, man, like when the doctor told me, he was like, this is like maybe the third lowest cholesterol I've ever seen, including case studies in medical school. I was like, I was like, damn, that's saying something, man. Thanks mm. for sharing. So it was like, I'm like, I was just like, I felt like I'm at home, man. Um, and so that's, that's what um, drove me to, to plant-based uh, nutrition. And then being here and getting the opportunity to interview the likes of Dr. Barnard and, and so many other dignitaries and luminaries uh, in this field um, and learning about all the other benefits that go with it that extend so far beyond weight loss, you know, is, is just really extraordinary. And it, it keeps me on the straight and narrow. And honestly, man, like I'm still an addict, but at this point I'm addicted to, you know, being a healthy plant-based eater. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So can we talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the stuff you have learned by being in such amazing company and uh, having interviewed uh, the likes of Dean Ornish and people like that? And um, maybe, you know, maybe if you could, you can start wherever you want, or maybe we can kind of talk about just like general takeaways of uh, what you've learned both from experience, but from, you know, some of the best doctors in the world. Yeah. I think beyond the weight loss, um, the, the biggest thing that I love so much about this is, um, the Alzheimer's connection here, um, and how studies have just shown repeatedly that a plant-based diet dramatically lowers your risk of Alzheimer's. Mm. And what the, what I learned from Dr. Barnard so very early on, one of the first episodes that we did was that, you know, it was like, it doesn't have to be your destiny. 
just because your your grandfather, your grandmother, their your great aunts, your uncles, and now your uncles like had it doesn't mean that you're destined to have it too, man. Like you can seize control of this and bring down your risk just by eliminating these things from your diet. And like I was like, that's awesome, man, because like I'm so petrified of getting that because witnessing what that does to a person firsthand is just it, it's heartbreaking, you know, it's mm. so much harder on, I think everybody else than it is, you know, the person that's actually going through it. And I don't, I don't want to put my family through that. And, you know, I'm in no hurry to go through that myself either, man. And so like that, that terrifies me, but then, you know, you go on and, and you get the opportunity to speak to people like Dr. Robert Osfeld, you know, who's this amazing cardiologist and just doing like this extraordinary work up in the New York area and hearing him talk about um, the benefits of a plant-based diet and reducing cardiovascular disease, you know, and that's another big thing that runs in my family. You know, I never got an opportunity to meet my grandfather on my father's side because he died after, you know, like a number of heart attacks before I was even born, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I didn't want that in my future. And I know that my father, you know, he's, he's had a number of heart procedures now as well. And I, I don't want that for myself. And so like hearing Dr. Robert Osfeld talk about that, like for me, like that's a warm blanket. Like that's, that's just like the best news ever. You know what I mean? And I love hearing about that. And then, you know, for the women in my family, you know, it's like lower the risk of breast cancer, you know, breast cancer has, has taken some people um, in my family. And, um, you know, knowing that plant-based diet really significantly helps with that and, and getting the opportunity to speak with one of our dietitians upstairs, Lee Crosby, who was just extraordinary, had her own scare with breast cancer. Um, and, and so, you know, hearing her story and, and others like that, but then hearing her articulate about why, you know, science is the way that it is. And, you know, how this whole thing about soy, the myth surrounding it is actually bogus. And like why women should actually be eating soy, especially at a young age to help prevent the onset of breast cancer. Like it's just mind blowing science to me. And it's just so comforting, you know, it's, it's comforting in a sense. And then it's also like, holy crap, we got so much work to do because like, I know, that, you know, so many, you know, thousands of people listen to this podcast and it's great, man. But like, we got what, 8 billion, 9 billion people in this world that need to hear this. And so like, then it becomes a mission. Like, let's just educate the masses, brother. Yeah. I'm right there with you, man. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm attempting to do as well. Um, and yeah, I know, uh, what I have found most interesting recently with, you know, I'm, I'm big into the research and follow the doctors as well. And, um, with, uh, you know, Dean Ornish's latest book there, Undo It, what I find fascinating now is just the revelation that, hey, it doesn't really matter what the disease is. All of these lifestyle factors are going to reduce your risk of, you know, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, all these things. It's all the same underlying causes of them. Um, and, And therefore, you know, the same changes we can make to, you know, reverse some of them or help prevent you know, it from ever occurring. And that's what like I get fired up about. It's like, it's all the same stuff. It might express itself as Alzheimer's or heart disease or whatever, but the underlying cause is all the same. And the, that to me is super exciting. You know, all these things we can implement from, 
you know, eating more plant-based to moving every day to, you know, I know he's big on just community and love and, and that coming into uh, yeah. play. So, uh, I, I love all of it. And, um, yeah. So if you had, if you had one piece of advice for somebody that wants to head towards, um, you know, eating better or changing, you know, kind of their health and life, um, you know, what do you recommend the first step to be? What's, what's kind of like the first way they can go that direction? Um, and something I should address too real quick before I ask that question, um, that I know you've spoken about too, but, uh, just understanding that what we're talking about is a whole food plant-based diet, not a vegan diet. Right. Um, in that we're talking about whole plant foods, not impossible burgers and chips and, and soda. Right. So just to clarify that, but, um, so what advice do you give somebody to head that direction? It's not even nutritional advice, man. Um, mm. What this is, is like, get your ass in the bathroom, look in the mirror and have a conversation with yourself. And it's got to be a deep conversation with yourself. You need to look into your soul and realize that you can do it. The The idea of living without, you know, these foods that you've been eating your entire life is petrifying. Even if you're not a, a food addict in the way that, you know, I was describing earlier, you know, but the idea of like never having a cheeseburger again or a regular, a regular pizza again, like terrifies people or having a, a regular slice of cheese. Like it just terrifies people because you're, you're, you're not just asking them to take this food off of their plate. You're asking them to end a relationship, right? Mm. It's a breakup dude, because like somebody dies, you eat that food, something great happens. You eat that food. The family gets together. You eat that food, man. It's a relationship. It's built as much around the memories that surround that food as it is with the food itself. So you're asking them to end that relationship. Well, you look in the mirror and you tell yourself, well, it's going to suck for a little bit. But we've all been through breakups, man. We have mm. all been through breakups. And we always, always, always come out the other side a better person for it because you're a little bit older and you're a hell of a lot more wise. And so you can get through it and you need to recognize the fact that you can do it. I cannot stand when people say, hey, I could go plant-based except I, I couldn't give up that cheese, man. It was mm. like, I know how addictive cheese is. I've had Dr. Barnard on the show. We've talked about why it's so addictive. The fact that there is like opiate properties in cheese that get you hooked on it, legitimate, look it up, morphine. look it up but you can get through it because look, man, I'm not Superman, Eric O'Gray, you know, uh, another wonderful success story, gentleman who had all sorts of health issues was woefully addicted to McDonald's changes. His life gets off of all of that garbage. Never thought it was possible before. Well, guess what? He's not Superman either, but he did it. And he's a healthier, happier guy. He's thriving. I'm thriving. There are thousands of other people who have made that same change who are thriving and none of them will ever be in a Marvel comic book. None of them are the Avengers. None of them are the X-Men. None of them are Batman or Robin or Superman or whoever your favorite superhero is. They are themselves, but that is such a powerful friggin' thing. And so when you look in the mirror, you need to look and you need to tell yourself like, it's going to suck, but I got it in me to get through this. I got it in me to be the person who I want to be. 
And so once you get that psyche that yes, you can, and you eliminate that defeatist attitude, you take that out of the equation. I don't care if you're switching to a whole food plant-based diet or doing anything else in your life, you can knock it out of the friggin' park. And that's the most important conversation you need to have with yourself as you're getting ready to make this change or any other. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. What would you say, what role does food play? How big of a piece of the pie is the food portion of it? You know, obviously there's other factors that go into being a healthy, you know, well person, but how important is food, would you say? Oh man, uh, 90, 95% of it, man, you know, because like, here's the thing, right? So it's like, you can't exercise off a Big Mac. You just can't do it. Like you think Mm. that you can, but you can't, you know? Um, And so it's all about the food, but like, that's, that's the cool thing too, right? So it's like, once your taste buds change and you fall in love with the whole food plant-based diet, like you're starting to eat things that you never thought that you would eat before. And they taste a thousand times better than the crap that you had been eating. And, and the other thing is, man, going back to that, that whole like breakup thing, even yeah. if you're terrified of going without pizza, without burgers, man, like, you know, this as well as I do, there are thousands of recipes for healthy whole food, plant-based pizzas, whole food, plant-based burgers mm-hmm. that will knock your friggin' socks off. So you don't have to go without, it's just a little bit different, man. And Food is the most important thing, 90 to 95% of it. The rest of it is lifestyle changes. But man, the food is super, super, super important. It's the most terrifying, but it's the most important, man. But it's also the most exciting and the most fun, especially once you, you know, kind of fall into a routine and you kind of figure out what it is that you're doing and you start cracking open some of those cookbooks and you start, you know, looking up recipes online and you're like, holy mother of pearl look at all this stuff man (laughs) and you just go bananas in the kitchen man and it's a glorious thing dude i see you smiling you know exactly what i'm talking about (laughs) 100 percent. it was like i lived in this small category of meat and dairy for you know 25 years of my life and then it's like holy shit there's all these other thousands of foods that i've just never purchased before or or cooked with it, it opens up this, like it, it almost becomes fun because you have so many different things to work with and you've just been blinded in this, like, you know, one way street for so many years. And it just, it just takes opening it up to all the other things. Dude, it's so much fun, man. It's so much fun. Um, you know, and, and like, it kind of forces you to become, you know, a, a chef, you know, by default, you mm. know, but it, it's fun. And, and you also find like, you don't have to spend like eight years at a culinary institute to master this stuff, man. You just need to spend a few afternoons in the kitchen, you know, playing around like a mad scientist with sweet potatoes, man. And then like, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're like, you're, you're the friggin' master of the potato domain. Like it's amazing, you know, man, it's so much fun. Yeah. What do you, what do you think the most misunderstood aspect about a plant-based diet is? Do you think it's the protein or do you think it's some other, what's most misunderstood about it? Uh, protein's a big one, man. I remember yeah. even my bariatric surgeon, when I told him, I was like, Hey doc, I went, I went vegan, man. And, um, you know, I, I, I said vegan as opposed to plant-based because I just assumed he knew what that was. Right. Yeah. And I swear to you, man, like my jaw hit the floor. Cause I thought that he was running a bit. Like I thought that the whole protein myth thing was a myth. 
but he looked me dead in the eye, man. And he's like, so where are you getting your protein from? And I was like, no, <laughs> not you too, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, it's, yeah, man, the protein thing, it's, it's huge, man. It's huge. And that also for like people who don't know anything about it, like they think that it's just like eating salad and eating grass and, and like grazing in open fields. Like that's what they think that it means being plant-based, which nothing could be further from the truth. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of stigma there that's, that you still need to fight. But you know what, dude? Shows like yours, shows like The Exam Room, the upcoming Game Changers documentary, man, mm-hmm. like it's it's breaking that wall down. Like it's tearing down that stigma, man. And it's really cool. I think that we're going to start to see a lot of eyes open up, man. It's it's really, I think, you know, kind of cool. And you're already starting to see like that wave, man. It's It's gaining a lot of momentum, dude. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I'm, I'm fired up about the game changers coming out. Uh, but, um, I know we only got a couple minutes left cause you got to run. Uh, but before I ask you one more, um, I just want to salute you, man. You have a crazy journey. Um, and to see you where you're at now. And I just, I feel the, the, the good energy from you and, like what a journey dude and just good for you. And, and, you know, the fact that you speak out about it and are so open about it and, um, you're helping people. So I shout out so. to you. I appreciate that, man. I, I really do, man. That means a lot. You know, uh, I love knowing the fact that, you know, if, if one person hearing this, like gets inspired and decides to make the change, then man, like that's the best thing in the world. You know, it's, yeah. it's all about paying it forward. hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, man. Um, last one. What, what do you want to leave us with? You, you, you can go any direction with, with this. Uh, for somebody listening, um, what do you want to leave us with as a takeaway? I'm going to leave you with a visual, man. That's what I'm going to leave you with, right? So we've been talking here for, what, 45 minutes, but I'm going to leave you with a visual, right? So I brought my old jeans with me. I'm going to stand up. I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to be like in this shot, but you'll see my waist with the pants. Hopefully yeah, they can I- all fit on camera. Hold on. So like, there we go. Boom. Wow. My old pants, man. That's Incredible, it. man. 66 inch waist pants. And wow. so, and what is, are you now? Like a, like a 30, like 30, half that? 32, man. 32. <laughs> so like if I, if I had my extra skin removed, I'd definitely be down in the 30 range. Crazy, um, man. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> so, um, the big takeaway is, man, it's like the 66 inch waist guy that used to wear that pants, never thought he could do it in a million Mm. years. Did I ever think that I would do that? Never thought in a million years I would be sitting here, you know, just a couple days past my 37th birthday. I thought I would have been dead seven years ago, but here I am healthier than I've ever been happier than I've ever been feeling younger than I ever freaking have. Like, I feel like I've got my youth back, even though I'm closing in on 40, like it's insane to me. And I want everybody to be able to experience this because once you have that for yourself, like it's impossible, impossible to be selfish with this feeling. You're going to want to pay it for it. You're going to want other people to experience it as well. Cause it is the coolest damn thing ever for so many reasons. I love it, man. I love it. So, uh, at Chuck Carroll on Instagram, weightlosschampion.com, right? That's it. At Chuck Carroll, WLC. WLC stands for weight loss champion. Okay. Branding, branding, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice, man. I'll leave those links uh, in the notes for everybody to follow you and reach out or whatever. And uh, thank you, dude. Really appreciate this. I appreciate you having me, man. You're fun to talk to. Yeah, likewise. I'll, I'll have to come down at some point in, uh, in visit. I've been, I've been standing invitation, down. brother. Awesome, dude. Yeah, man. Come on, come on down. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.